the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Human nature just loves the supernatural. And so it's easy to believe every supernatural thing as potentially attributed to the Lord when every supernatural thing is not of the Lord. There are some supernatural things that are demonic, that are satanic, that are intended to deceive us. So this is the kind of thing he's talking about here. Just test the spirit. Test stuff. Don't just believe everything. Test it. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John. Supernatural occurrences happen in our world today. From unexplained sightings or miraculous recoveries, we often claim all such activities as divine. But as Pastor Gary shares in today's message, not every mystical experience is from the Lord. The devil can use paranormal activities for harm, to deceive us, or even to trick someone into believing the act is from God. This is why Pastor Gary will encourage you to test the Spirit, search Scripture, and find the will of the Lord before believing that every mysterious occurrence is from God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 John chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. First John chapter 4. First verse we read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, again, John is the only one in the entire Bible who uses the word Antichrist. Uh, The Antichrist is otherwise known as the beast in the book of Revelation, known as the lawless uh, one, the son of perdition uh, in First Thessalonians. Uh, but John is the one who uses this word uh, five times, four times here in First John, and he's going to use the word one more time in Second John. But he says here that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. So even though the Antichrist as a person has not necessarily been revealed and come onto the world scene, 
everything in opposition to Christ and Christianity has always been here. Ever since Satan tempted Adam and Eve fell in disobedience to God, listening to the voice of Satan rather than uh, obeying the voice of God, that spirit, that satanic anti-Christ spirit has always been at work in the world. So there's always been great opposition to the things of God, great opposition to God himself, opposition to Israel, opposition to Christians, opposition to the Bible. I mean, that is the spirit of antichrist. And so for that reason, in the first few verses here, John says, I want you to test every spirit because every spirit is not of God. There are some spiritual manifestations that actually belong to the work of Antichrist, actually belong to the work of Satan. And so we have to be wise about these things, Christians. We, every spiritual manifestation is not necessarily of God. And so we have to test the spirit. Now, there are two primary ways that we can test whatever spirit or spiritual manifestation around us or we're interested in or we're fascinated by. I always tell people probably one of the most useful and practical gifts of the Spirit we need is the gift of discernment. To be wise and discerning about things. To be able to see uh, what is of God and what is not. So we need to pray for discernment. And then always Scripture is going to be the basis uh, by which we, we judge all things and we test all things. And so we have to ask ourselves when spiritual manifestations happen, or in this case he's even specifically talking about false prophets, false teachers. You know, what are the things that they are saying? Does it line up with Scripture? Does it contradict Scripture? Is it extra biblical? Because sometimes people will fall for something that they believe is of God because there's nothing particularly in Scripture to contradict it, but yet there's nothing in Scripture that would validate it either. And so we have to be wise about this. If it can't be validated by Scripture, it should not be embraced. This is God's handbook to us. He doesn't leave us in ignorance. He says, listen, I've given you my word. I've given you truth. And this becomes the standard by which all things are judged. It's the grid through which we pass all spiritual things. So we have to be wise about this. You know, I've been ministry, I've been ministry now for 32 years. I've seen all kinds of things come and go. If you've been around the church long enough, I'm talking, you know, church capital C, not, not cornerstone per se, because we've tried to be careful to, you know, embrace what is of the spirit that we see in scripture, reject things that are not. I've seen all kinds of kooky things. I have all kinds of kooky things. You know, about 20 years ago, there was a whole movement about barking in the spirit. Does anybody remember that? People were literally barking like dogs in church services. Laughing in the spirit where people just uncontrollable laughter and it would interrupt, you know, church services because people were just, you know just jolly belly laughing, you know, and this kind of stuff, and gold dust falling from ceilings, and feathers people saw, and all this kind of stuff. Like, And then they'd come up with verses like, well, feathers falling from the sky. I mean, the Bible does say he'll hide us under the shadow of his wings. Like, really? And so all these kind of things. I had a lady years ago, there was this thing that about 25 years ago was called the Toronto Blessing, where where, you know, these manifestations were happening in Toronto, Canada. And this lady came up to me. We were still meeting in the school building. So we, we were, you know, barely a church, only a couple years old. She said to me, you need to go to Toronto, Pastor, and bring back what's happening there to Leesburg. I looked at her. I said, if I have to go to Toronto for anything, it's not worth bringing back. I mean, no, no offense to the Canadians in the house. I'm just saying, if the only place to get the Spirit is you got to go to Toronto, and that, that implies then that the Spirit of God is not working in all places at all times, then that's really a limitless, a, a limited view of God. That it's only happening in this one spot, and you got to go and get there. 
So here's something that has always been, you know, we're, we're affiliated with Calvary Chapel, and so Chuck Smith has been my pastor up until he died about five years ago. One of the things he always said that was always so helpful are three things that you can test in relation to, is this really of the Spirit of God? Number one, did Jesus teach it? Number two, did the early church practice it? Number three, did the epistles support it? If you can say yes to all things, all three things, embrace it. If Jesus taught it, and he either taught it verbally or he taught it by example, did the early church practice it, and did the epistles support it? Then yes and amen. Embrace it. So, you know, we still believe that the Spirit of God is available and the gifts of the Spirit are available in its proper context, in its proper place, and in certain uses of certain gifts like, for example, the gift of, of tongues with interpretation, two, no more than three, never more. And in the context of a group of people where everybody's a believer, everybody understands, that's why in a corporate church service, we don't see that fitting because of what Scripture teaches in First Corinthians chapter 14. So all that to say, there's a lot of stuff that is available to us because Jesus taught it, the early church practiced it, you see it in Scripture, and the epistles support it. But if it's not in there... Barking like a dog and saying, that's a manifestation of a spirit. Did Jesus teach it? No. Did the early church practice it? No. Did the epistles support it? No. Bye-bye, doggy. You know, that's the kind of thing. That, that, that's just, and so we have to be careful about this because all our human nature loves some kind of supernatural thing. Human nature just loves the supernatural. And so it's easy to believe every supernatural thing as potentially attributed to the Lord when every supernatural thing is not of the Lord. There are some supernatural things that are demonic, that are satanic, that are intended to deceive us. So this is the kind of thing he's talking about here. He says, test the spirit. Test stuff. Don't just believe everything. Test it. Search the scripture. Know by the spirit of God what really is of the Spirit of God. In verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, meaning these false prophets, because he who is in you, who's in you? Jesus, right? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in the world? Satan. So th- this is one of those verses that we often quote as a reminder to us that the Lord is our strength and and, and greater is he, the Lord, in us than Satan who is in the world. I mean, Satan is still, you know, roaming around like a roaring lion looking for those to devour, Peter tells us. But he is limited in, in his abilities to harm us because greater is the Lord in us than Satan who is in the world. He says in verse 5, they are of the world. Therefore, these false prophets, they, they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We are of God. Now, John's going to assert his apostolic authority here. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now starting in verse 7, down through verse 21, which is the end of of chapter 4, the main thing we're going to see here is love. Between verses 7 and 21 here in chapter 4, John is going to use the word love 27 times in 15 verses. 27 times in 15 verses. And again, in the whole book of 1 John, which is only five chapters, he uses the word 45 times. He uses the word love 45 times, and that's more times than any other book of the Bible. So he's really focused on this word love 
And again, as I've said before, every time the word love is used here in 1 John, it is always the Greek word agape, which is the highest, most supreme kind of love. Versus phileo, which is brotherly love, eros, which is erotic love, storge, which is family love. So those different Greek words. It's always agape here. He's emphasizing the supreme love of God that we have in Christ. So you're going to see this uh, throughout the next uh, several verses as we read through chapter 4. You're going to touch on the definition of love, the manifestation of love, and the perfection of love. And he's actually going to touch on the fact that the triune God, God is one God, three persons. So he reveals God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he's going to talk about the definition of love is God, the manifestation of love is Jesus, and the perfection of love is the Spirit. You'll, you'll, you'll see it as we go. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, this is that one verse that a lot of people love to quote. They may not always know where it is in the Bible. They, they may not even be a Christian. But there are plenty of secular people who walk around going, God is love. God is love, dude. God is love. You know, that kind of a thing. So there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, God is love. You know, and as, I'm, as I'm preparing this Bible study, you know, what's going through my head is, is the Beatles. All we need is love, you know. 1967, all we need is love. But uh, anyway, it's a lot more than that. We need a lot more than that. We need, we need God who is love. That's why the definition of love is God, because God is love. It is the supreme character and nature of God, that God is love. He isn't just loving. He is love. And verse 9, he says, uh, in this the love of God was manifested. So here's point number two, the manifestation of love toward us. How? That God has sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. So the definition of love is God. The manifestation of love is Jesus. So God comes, takes on flesh, enters our world. Jesus is that manifestation or personification of love. He dies for our sins that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, by the way, there in back up in verse 10, propitiation is just a, a $3 word. Uh, and the NIV just simply says atoning sacrifice. That's what propitiation means. It means um, in, in this context, it means a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. You see, in our sin, we stand opposed to God. And all of us are sinners, so by nature, we are opposed to God. And therefore, because we are sinful, God, who is just, must punish us for our sinfulness. If he just winked and looked the other direction, he wouldn't be a just and holy God. So his justice demands that because of our sinfulness, we must be punished. But what he does is because of his love for us, he determines how to re rescue us from our sins so that we won't have to suffer the consequences that we rightfully deserve for our sin. Everybody tracking with me so far? 
And so what God does is he gives his only begotten son, Jesus. God comes, manifests love by taking on flesh to die on a cross for our sins. And God just determined, this is God's will, God's determination, God's plan for mankind. That he will take the punishment intended for every single one of us because of our sins. He will place that on his son, Jesus. That if we have faith in what Christ did for us by believing that his death on the cross was the propitiation, was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, then we don't have to suffer the consequences. We can say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you that you loved me so much. You gave your life. You suffered. Even though you were sinless, you suffered for my sins. You took on the punishment intended for me, and thus the wrath of God was satisfied. God placed his wrath on his son instead of on us, though we deserved it and he didn't. It was his plan to rescue us and redeem us. So this is why salvation, you know, it's such, it's a free gift. And, and sometimes we overcomplicate it. It is all about us humbling ourselves and saying, thank you, Lord, that you provided a way so that I don't have to suffer the consequences for my sins. I trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It was the great exchange. His life, his perfect sinless life for our imperfect sinful lives. And he paid the price for us. That's the beauty and the love of God. And so that's how he is the propitiation for our sins. And, you know, I love verse 11 where he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And therefore, we are to demonstrate the love of God. We've received the love of God. We should love one another. You know, Christians should be the most loving people on the planet. And, and you know, we don't have to always agree, obviously. There's going to be a lot that is in conflict with our faith and our culture, especially these days. But you can still be truthful and loving. And you can still be honest and loving. And you can still be respectful and loving. And Christians should be the most loving people. It calls us to reflect the love of God. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. Okay, no one has seen God at any time. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7 says, uh, Paul wrote, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. And John 4.24 says, God is spirit. So no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. So this is the third thing here, the perfection of the love of God. And how is it perfected? Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You see, so it's the spirit of God that's, that perfects God's love in our hearts because the, God's spirit is at work in us, you know, molding us and shaping us and convicting us. When we get saved and we receive Christ, you see, we, we get the spirit of God. And, and I do believe when you look at the book of Acts that there is this a greater outpouring of the Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, the Spirit of God is not separated from God the Father, God the Son. So when you receive Christ, you, you, you have the, the implanting of the Spirit of God, and, and thus the Spirit of God begins to work, to bring conviction, to challenge us, to bring correction to our hearts. And so it's the molding of the Spirit of God in our hearts that is perfecting the love of God. In verse 14, he says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses, circle that word, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
You know, there's something important about confessing that Jesus is Lord. In, in Romans chapter 10, when, when, I, when I first got saved, I was, I, I'd you know, been raised in the church. My, my parents took me to church since, you know, I was born. And, um, and, and so one of the beautiful things about being taken to church from the time that you're born is that you're exposed to Christ early, you're exposed to the Bible early, you're exposed to the, you know, the Lord at a young age. The downside to that, okay, and those of you who share a similar story can agree with me, the downside to it is that you can begin to think that because you've grown up in the church, you're automatically saved. And you can begin to think, well, I've been going to church all my life, so, you know, that makes me a Christian. And you never have come to a place of personal confession of your faith and trust in Christ. And so that was my story. So I'm 15 years old, and I'm at a retreat with my uh, uncle's church, who was a pastor in Thurmont, Maryland. So in the Catoctin Mountains, uh, they had this church retreat, and I went on this church retreat, and this guy who was a speaker to the youth group. So they had separate, it was like a family camp. So they had a speaker for the adults and they had a speaker for the teens and another speaker for like the kids. And so, you know, we were as teenagers, you know, listening to this guy that had been brought in for the weekend and privately off to the side, he, he just asked me, he said, are, are you a Christian? I said, oh yeah. And he said, how is that? You know, when did you make a decision for Christ? I said, I, I never made a decision for Christ. I just grew up in the church. That was my answer. I mean, I honestly, sincerely thought I was good to go because I grew up in the church. And he looked at me and he said, you're not saved. I said, how dare you, you, you hypercritical judge? You know, don't judge me, you know, that kind of an attitude. And he said, you have the belief down. You believe that Jesus is Christ, right? And I said, yeah, I believe that he's Christ. And he said, you know, in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says that the demons believe and they tremble. What are you comparing me to? And he just said, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The demons believe and they trouble. He says, you know the difference between demons who believe and people who believe? And I said, what? And he says, the only difference between human beings who believe and demons who believe is whether or not the human beings are also going to confess Jesus as Lord because the demons don't. So if you want to really be different from the demons, (laughs) how about you decide to confess Jesus as Lord? And he took me to Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. That if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that's the first part. I had that part down. If you believe in your heart, this is Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And he read those verses to me, and it just hit me. And I realized I had the head knowledge down at least in part. I had an an understanding. I had a belief, but I had never really confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so I prayed right there to receive Christ by confessing him as Lord. So this is an important word. You know, when you read your Bibles, don't skip over certain words that they're in there for a reason. And he emphasizes that there in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. Now he's going to, he talks about belief in here too. He's going to talk about a little bit further down, but there's this important thing where Jesus and the Bible and God and all this has to be more than just this theoretical belief thing. It, It has to be more than just head knowledge. This has to be something that you believe and confess as a testimony of a relationship that you have with Jesus. There are a lot of people who, you know, are walking around in this world, I think, who think that they are saved just because they have the head knowledge, but they have no heart relationship. 
And I don't say that disparagingly. I just say I was in the same boat. In ignorance, I didn't understand that just because you believe something is not enough. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. If you have any questions about this series in the book of 1 John or about the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to connect with us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. And be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Gary's teachings from God's Word, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his series. They are located under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m. on Sundays, as well as Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for a midweek Bible study. Or join us online through our website, YouTube Live, and Facebook Live. You can find out more on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to study the book of 1 John. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection.